and welcome back to the Can Do Can Say podcast. Today we're going to talk about self-carriage. Now what do you picture when you think about self-carriage? Many of us picture a horse, perhaps in a dressage arena, traveling in a certain outline, maintaining a gait and direction. In this podcast though, I'm going to discuss why self-carriage has a much wider definition and how important it is to all riders and horse handlers, regardless of their level of experience or the discipline they choose to enjoy. Although our first thought of self-carriage might invoke mental images of dressage horses, sadly, modern dressage is often just the opposite. The term self-carriage literally means the horse is maintaining itself without needing support from the rider. Whereas with modern dressage, most horses are pushed and ridden with unrelenting pressure from the bit and often at the same time from the rider's legs. This unrelenting pressure is in direct violation of the International Society of Equitation Science training principle number six, use the Um, the correct use of operant conditioning, which explains that the pressure must be released at the onset of a correct response. Self-carriage is the focus of the 10th ISIS training principle, and that is regard for self-carriage. Aim for self-carriage in all methods and at all levels of training. And this is what it includes. The horse is trained to maintain gait, tempo, stride length, direction, head and neck carriage, and body posture, and avoid forcing any posture. Avoid nagging with your legs, your spurs, or reins, and that means avoid trying to maintain responses with relentless signaling. And a lack of self-carriage, the ISIS training principles note, can promote hyperreactive responses and compromise horse welfare. This definition is excellent for the ridden horse of any discipline, but I think we can take the self-carriage concept even further than this to improve our training and handling of horses in all aspects of the horse-human relationship. Self-carriage simply means maintaining precisely what the horse has been cued to do until you signal the horse to do something else. Using a ridden example of riding a 20-metre circle at canter, the horse should maintain the canter at the same speed, length of stride, in the same direction, without changing head and neck carriage and consistent body posture, or without the rider having to hold or force any of these elements. If you have to consistently correct your horse to keep it on the circle, keep your inside leg on to maintain direction or both legs to maintain speed, if you need a good solid contact to hold your head and horse's head and neck in position or to elevate the forehand and the shoulders, then you're not in self-carriage. In practice, however, This can seem a bit depressing because how many of us have a horse that will maintain a 20-metre circle with all of the above without the need for some intervention? And I would say very few. But remember this, this is what we're aiming for and with the correct training, exactly what we can achieve. Understanding the concept of self-carriage allows us to train with this as our aim and along the way we get a huge range of array of benefits. 
Understanding the concept of self-carriage allows us to train with this as our aim, and along the way, we get a huge array of benefits. Firstly, we have to be clear in our mind exactly what we want the horse to do and what we'll use as motivation to encourage the horse to do that. Number two, once we've decided on number one, We need to know exactly when we're going to release the pressure and reward the horse. Number three, knowing this means we become very aware of when we have pressure and when we don't. Number four, it follows then that our use of combined reinforcement improves as we use pressure release reward sequences more and more often. Number five, in turn, the horse is able to relax as we are setting up easy-to-follow patterns of pressure, release, reward. Number six, the horse gains confidence, learns the sequence, and begins to anticipate the predictable pattern. And finally, number seven, the horse is now in self-carriage, responding before pressure needs to be applied and continues until signal to change something, such as speed or direction. If we think about some of the common expressions we hear, such as inside leg to outside rein or a good contact, it begs the question of how these can coexist with self-carriage. Of course, they cannot coexist. And this is a good reminder that we should always be training with the aim of reducing the pressure required to achieve a response. This is done by providing the horse with consistent pressure release reward sequences always beginning with the lightest possible pressure cue. The lightest pressure cue is often a verbal cue. While we don't always think of our voice as a pressure cue, it's exactly what it is. And we can use that before we use a tactile cue, allowing the horse the opportunity to respond before the heavier cue is applied. Earlier I mentioned that self-carriage deserves a wider definition and application than it currently has. And I think it's important that we apply the principles of self-carriage, continuing to do what you've been asked to do until signaled to do something else, to everything we do with the horse, and that we start doing this as early as possible in the horse's training. By having self-carriage as our aim in all interactions with our horse, it teaches the horse to be responsible for him or herself in terms of their position and movement at all times. Self-carriage is as relevant to trailer loading as it is to picking up feet, leading or riding that 20-metre circle. We always want the horse to do what we've asked it to do until we ask it to do something else. When we view all training and handling in this way, it helps us become aware of the signals and pressure cues we're giving the horse and thus also become aware of providing the horse with a timely release. We've all ridden a horse that needs constant verbal encouragement or even kicking to stay in stride or to stay in trot or a horse that lags behind on the lead and sometimes you need to drag it along. But what if we could teach the horse self-carriage in these instances? Couldn't we apply the same self-carriage principles to picking up feet, standing at the mounting block, or standing at the tie rail? 
I think it's not only possible that we could, but also that we should do this for the benefit of the horse. So what does it look like? Let's have a look at a few examples of self-carriage. A horse that is in self-carriage at the mounting block will stand there until asked to move off. A horse in self-carriage with the farrier will hold its foot until the farrier returns the foot to the floor. Self-carriage for trailer loading looks like the horse that will load onto the trailer and wait quietly until it is signaled to back off. By incorporating the concept of self-carriage into all of our training, from foundation training on the ground to advanced work under saddle, we can greatly improve our relationship with the horse. This is because teaching self-carriage requires us to be mindful of when and how we use combined reinforcement and makes us less likely to subject our horses to nagging or unrelenting pressure at any time. With this in mind, how then do we go about incorporating self-carriage into our everyday handling and training? The simple answer is to always have a start and an end cue for any behavior. Let's look at an example. With trailer loading, we teach getting on just one foot at a time and getting off at the same time. By doing this, the horse learns to wait for the signal to get off and learns to not to back out before getting that signal. The same is true for lifting and cleaning your horse's feet. You have a signal running your hand down the horse's leg to lift the foot and then when you have finished, you place the foot back on the ground and reward your horse. If you simply drop the foot unannounced without placing it down gently, you're untraining self-carriage. The response of keeping the foot up will become unpleasant because it becomes unpredictable for the horse, not to mention possibly jarring his or her toe when it hits the ground. Think about this next time you're teaching your horse something, anything really, be it shoulder in or picking up the feet. You want a cue to go into the movement and a cue to come out of the movement. Horses learn very well from predictable patterns and we all know they really don't like surprises. Training self-carriage in this way will make your horse's life predictable and give your horse confidence. When you begin to integrate small changes into your training and handling routines, such as focusing on self-carriage, it's great to be able to measure your progress and see how you're helping your horse. Have you done an e-bark yet? If you haven't done one, I suggest you go along and do an e-bark for your horse. You can go to the e-barq.org website and do that. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about training your own horse using safe, evidence-based methods that are applicable to all disciplines, breed, and age of horse, then go to candoequine.com. Drop me a line while you're there and let me know if you have a topic you'd particularly like covered in an upcoming episode of the Can Do, Can Say podcast. Until next time.